Hey everyone, this is Chris Walker and welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. There are a lot of times where I get questions about, okay, so um, we don't have any budget. I'm a one-person marketing team and we don't have any budget. What should I do? And there wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. It was probably, it was a little over two years ago where it was just me and we didn't have a lot of budget. And so I laid out the roadmap of the things to get started if you are a seed stage company and don't have a marketing budget, if you are a, a professional services company and you just don't spend a lot on marketing, there's a lot of situations where this would be a great strategy for you. And honestly, it would also be a great strategy for some companies that are venture funded, growing fast and sell something like software. And so I think there's something to learn here for everybody and we're going to get into it right now. So it's great. I'm appreci- um, happy that you reached out. I'd love to. This is you're not the only one that has questions like this, and so I thought it'd be valuable to talk through it and um, and try and help both you and a lot of other people. So um, why don't you uh, kind of get us started with what your what the situation is, and let me know how I can help. Awesome, and thank you so much um, for taking the time to meet with me. I'm I'm really excited to hear your insight. So I work for a BPO company. And we deliver um, outsourced accounting, payroll, and operational reporting to multi-unit business owners. I am a one-woman marketing team with no marketing budget. Most of our sales process is sales cold, cold calling, basically, is where the focus is on the sales side. My focus on marketing is to get further up that pipeline and attract new business. Right now, 90% of our business is referral or word of mouth, right? Mm-hmm. Based on my research, our analytics, you know, and and the things I've seen, people are not Googling business process outsourcing or restaurant accounting or restaurant payroll, those keyword terms that we would think would answer those questions for our potential clients aren't terms that they're searching. Okay. So I guess my question would be, if we have certain brands that we want to target, and we're talking about multi-unit companies with 40 plus locations across the United States... What would be the best marketing approach to begin to um, attract that potential business via our digital marketing channels? Cool. It's a good question. These are, these got to be big deals, right? Mm-hmm. What's a 40 unit location deal pay you? I, I don't have. An <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's closer to a hundred thousand or a million? It's probably closer to a hundred thousand. Okay, cool. Sounds good. And what does your customer base look like right now? Well, it's 90% restaurants. And that other 10% is automotive, fitness, senior living, and entertainment. Okay. And so let's just stick with the restaurants for now. Do they have to be more than 40 locations? Or is that or, or is that just we what you're don't. going after? Yeah. That's what we're going after. We service, um, you know, 10, 15, 20 unit companies. But for us, just from a strategic standpoint, it makes sense to go after the larger corporate. Sure. Make, yeah. <laughs> every company has that same that same mindset. It's just that the four location store may have the problem that you can solve right now and they don't have a solution. Mm-hmm. The 40 location is probably already have a solution. You got to displace something else. And so it's a different type of sale, um, okay. which is that they're just unhappy with their other other vendor and you just happen to be standing there in plain sight, right? 
or mm-hmm. or you're able to somehow come in with a specific unique value prop and displace that vendor. But this is um, in restaurants and QSRs, like for your POS system or all these different systems, every company wants to sell to the company that has two, 100 locations. Right. It's just that typically there's they already have some, they got to 100 locations with something already. That's just something to think about. Okay, so in the base, like how what percentage of the restaurants do you think are more than 40 locations? Oh, gosh, I don't probably 25%, 50%. In total locations or in total like customer accounts? Um, probably accounts. Customer accounts, yeah. yeah. Okay. What have you tried so far? Well, um, we revamped our website in November. We added lead generators to the bottom of each of our vertical pages. So there's an accounting and operational reporting and a payroll, and then plus the one on our homepage. Um, We have really started posting consistently on social three times a week. Which social? Uh, LinkedIn and Facebook for now. What we found is that Facebook's really good for employee recruiting, but not so much for our customer base. Our audience just isn't there. So now we're looking at um, transitioning towards Instagram, which is not popular for B2B, Mm -hmm. but as nobody else is doing it right now, I think we have a real opportunity to capture that audience before it becomes a trend. There are other B2B companies that are killing it on Instagram right now that I think. Mm -hmm. Which companies? uh, IBM, Hootsuite, uh, General Electric's doing really well. Mm -hmm. So challenge with those, I just want, this is more for the people listening afterwards, but the the challenge with looking at IBM or General Electric or HubSpot or things is that they pay agencies millions of dollars to create content for the, those platforms, right? right? And so that's one thing. They're massive companies with brands. So the people they have a ton of customers. So they're going to get a lot of followers from employees or customers or other people that know them because they host big events and conferences and different things like that. And that strategy or that what they're doing doesn't necessarily map to a SMB type company like mine. I don't know how big your company is, but mine, like it wouldn't map that way. And then in the maturity scale of Instagram, it's like past its prime in terms of Mm -hmm. its ability to move. And so I would actually, for you, recommend not to invest time there. Okay. Okay. But let's keep going here. So, because I like the LinkedIn, what are you doing on LinkedIn? So really it's just been... um, Posting our blog posts, different mm-hmm. updates. Um, we do a little bit of recruiting type stuff. Like we just did a grow with us campaign and we highlighted people within our company that have grown from um, like a baseline position up to the director level. Mm-hmm. We are getting ready to start a video series where I basically do a recorded Zoom interview with an expert. We talk about lease accounting or fixed cost reduction valuable content that I think will help our audience and educate them mm-hmm. parts of the industry. Got it. How could you make that more specific to a restaurant, right? Like lease accounting, but narrow on a restaurant or whatever topics. I think that's a piece of this. Okay. So not general finance, but things that are very specific to what they're working on at 10 locations. You're going to, and or if you go multi-state, you have to worry about these tax implications. You should need to do this, this, and this whatever the things are during the growth phase between zero, it's probably between two and 40. And the things that you know that they don't know that they need to do is what you need to cover that are specific to restaurants. Cause they can go to a million finance podcasts 
and get or a blog and figure out what lease accounting is, what you need to do is be the most specific to exactly what they're doing. Right. Right. And that's basically like our lease accounting video. We talk about as a multi-unit restaurant owner, if you own 20 locations, 40 locations, what does it mean to become client compliant with the new ASC 42 standard? Mm-hmm. So I have to go in and I can't speak intelligently to it. I'm yeah. not a person. Yeah, me either. Um, but we go into the detail of, you know, what that means for you if you decide to do it on your own and why you need to start now, even though the deadline for that's not until December. Mm-hmm. So that's what, just one example. Okay. So for, for me, and I, I'm not a restaurant owner, I'm just telling you, like for me, a video on compliance lease accounting is like not something that I would watch, right? Like somebody else, there's somebody else in my company that's responsible for that. And so I think the idea, like what people want to know about is how do they take advantage of opportunities that they don't see, or how do they learn that something that they're doing right now is suboptimal and could create risks or different things like that. You're either a, it's either an efficiency product, a risk management product, or a growth product, I think is how it needs to get positioned. And so out of those three, which one do you think you do? Can you say the three again? <laughs> um, cost, cost efficiencies, yep. better margin, be risk management, or growth? Uh, probably cost efficiencies and risk management. And what specifically do you do for restaurants that's better or different than anyone else? I'm sure that there are multiple companies that are trying to do this, right? So like, what specifically do you do that makes it unique or different? So we are one of the only... BPO companies that I know of that does all three payroll accounting and operational reporting. There are companies that do just payroll or they focus on just reporting and they do a little bit of the accounting. We're different because our um, leadership has an extensive background. They they grew up in Pizza Huts. They grew up Mm in restaurants as accountants and then built this company from the ground up. So we, instead of just doing your accounting, right, we offer a full team of experts. So you've got your benefit. Back up a second. Who was who were at the Pizza Huts? All of our C-suite level. They were they owned the locations. They worked no, in finance. They worked in finance as accountants. Okay. And this need for outsourcing outsourced accounting services for multi-unit leaders because when you own you know, multiple locations, hiring an accounting staff to cover all those locations and train all those employees and do the payroll for hundreds of employees. That's huge. It's a yeah. huge and time investment. So we deliver the team and the streamlined efficient processes. Mm-hmm. So business leaders can focus on strategic priorities and not back of house administrative tasks. Yeah. And so do any of the people that used to work at the Pizza Hut, are they involved at all in your content strategy? No. Um, have, have you asked them to be? Yes. Okay. What happened there? Well, the problem is marketing brain, creative brain and accounting, they don't mesh well and everything's <clears throat> literal on their end. It, it um, meshes well when you frame it in the things that they care about. Right. And so if it's framed in the idea of if they want to grow the company by five X over the next two years, that if we do this well, there's a logical path to growing at 500% over the next two years that you're not going to be able to get with sales because here's the sales data. We're not going to be able to get there this way. So we're looking like marketing can be a lift of growth that sales can't provide. 
And so right now that's what we're trying to do here. Do you want to do that or not? Right. So you have to, you have to frame it in the idea. I've learned this over five years because I've been trying to convince executives to do this for a very long time and <laughs> failed a lot early on. And so it needs to be about, about what matters to them in a way that they can understand. Right. And so the idea is, is, are we going to be in business over the next five years or what <laughs> you frame it up in a long period of time. So you understand what the timeline window is and then start to frame up the idea of if we get this right over a couple of years, the investment, finance people understand what an investment is. Yeah. <laughs> the investment can pay off dramatically if we have even a hundred restaurants that have 40 locations that love our podcast and they love our podcast because you're really smart and you're really, and so, and they get a lot of value from it. And then when they get a lot of value from it, they might use us when they have a problem. And it's really that simple because I doubt that anyone else that you're competing with would think about doing something like this. Yeah, no, I would agree. And so it's also about, that's the, that's the way in. Like you have, you have what a lot of marketers don't have. You just need to figure out how to get, and it can just be one of them. You don't need all of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then whoever that is, but it's, it's immediate credibility, trust, um, under, understanding of those people communicating in the way that they communicate. And then you just build, this doesn't cost very much money at all to do what we're doing, what we're talking about right now, and just put these people in environments where they can help people and demonstrate expertise. Like what we're doing right now, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. so like how uh, there's a restaurant that's struggling with this and you might not get the contract, right? It's on a consultation call. It's just, I'm helping you because I'm helping you because it makes me feel good. But for them, it, it's, I'm helping you be, so I can create the content so that a hundred other restaurant owners see it and find me more credible afterwards. And so in situations where they can do that, con- consulting calls, um, live Q&A, you can take Q&A from like a Facebook group and then just queue it up. Like we have people on my team that do that. So they'll come in and interview me, but they have questions that they've either been like encountering with one of some of our customers or they see on LinkedIn and they just ask me questions and we can, you can kind of like architect a Q and a without needing an audience. Mm-hmm. You could do a virtual event. Virtual event serves a lot of different purposes. So you could invite, you know what I mean? Let's go here. So virtual event, you go on LinkedIn, and then you find the people that you want to go after in Sales Navigator, whatever, and you send them DMs and say, hey, our person, you know, was during, at Pizza Hut from 1992 until 2004 when it grew by 9 trillion percent. Like, and we're hosting an event on the things that you need to know at these phases of growth. I thought it would be good for you because you're in that phase of growth. And so, and then literally just have the event, no sales act, no sales action afterwards, but you're, and you're doing it people are going to be there. They're going to be more aware of you once you say those things, but they're also going to, you're also going to have a piece of content that you can put out later. So the virtual event one I think is good. They might actually, if you can get even 10 people that are the target market to that event, Mm -hmm. that's maybe the the place you want to start because I've I've realized this with executives. Like back in the day, I wanted one, it was like the perfect person for it. I wanted them to be, the host of our video podcast. And they were like, this isn't worth my time. I'm not doing this. I got all these different things to do. But then the second that you say, Hey, like we have this spot, there's a thing at a conference where you can speak in front of 50 people. And then they'll like, you know, clear all of their plans and go and do that immediately. You know what I mean? Just because of their perception between a podcast and speaking at a conference and which one is better to them. 
And so what I did over time was just put them in, you know, talk to six physicians over here and we're going to record it and I get my podcast and you get to do what you like to do. And so mm-hmm. that's a, the virtual event might be a good place to start because they'll most likely be, they'll most likely say yes to it. Okay. Um, and then, so you could do virtual event and then you could do like the Q and A and things you can, you can sort of reel back the things that we're doing and then just apply it to you. But I think the podcast and, and LinkedIn content is the right move here. And then you can use the, the podcast and different things like that. Like the sales team could use it and probably do more effective outreach that way. Right. Yeah. And we talked about doing a podcast, but it's one of those things, well, we need, we don't have bandwidth and we're going to wait till we get more help, which won't be for another year. But, you know, if social's not working, then maybe we need to move towards podcast and video instead of. It's right. not that it's not that social's not working. It's the it's weird because like it feels like social's not working, but it's actually the top level content strategy that's not working, and the distribution channel gets blamed, um, <laughs> right? And so yeah, um, that makes sense. It's it's about having somebody that's credible and that can speak on things that your audience actually cares about, and that's a nuance here, right? Because a C suite's going to lean into typically they're going to lean more into like our sales pitch versus. Like, how do I help this person? So try and try and like frame that up. And um, so once you have the top level content, then you need to figure out how it gets distributed. And then so you create the audio, you have the audio and the video, and then it's going to go into, you can podcast. You don't need any resource to do that. Anchor.fm, it's free. You know, just chit on QuickTime, just clip the front and the back, no intro music, nothing. And just put it on there at the beginning. Because at the beginning, the real goal is the is micro content for distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Then you have the video, the content, the quality of the video does not matter at the beginning. Just as the quality information, to, are people seeing it and can you get it in front of them and does it work? And so you, there's plenty of SaaS tools. I don't know the names of them, but you can figure it out where you can drop in a video and trim it. And then you can make a video that sort of looks like mine that's like optimized for a LinkedIn feed with a headline and captions. And so you can mm-hmm. find that. And then you can start using that. And I would recommend going out through that person's profile instead of the company page. Okay. And so when you're going out through that profile, you'll want to what? Most of our, well, most of our, our CEO, our CFO, our president, they don't do social media. They don't have pages. They don't do social media at all. Yeah. So just, just say, Hey, like it's 2021. We'll create one. Start from scratch. You can do it. Just be like, Hey, like, you're not doing it. I was going to try this. It would help you out and just, you know, try it. If you're writing the copy for the post, because the posts are the copy and the posts are important, just paraphrase what they already said. I know because our team works on some of those in the company page that those, those things can get done. And then just the second part is you need, when, if you're going to post there, you need the right people to see it. And so you need to go out and make connections with the right people so that mm-hmm. they are following that page. So that when you post, those people have a chance of seeing it. And that's sort of like the core, like 1.0 framework. I think that you should think, try your best to do at least a monthly event so that you have a different, like a more, you have a a more proactive strategy of getting people into the beginning. Mm -hmm. So do you think that educating the masses is the best approach or do you think really targeting 
very a very specific audience when you're starting a social media content strategy? I mean, what do you think? I would I would go restaurants less than a hundred locations, or whatever whatever the top of your whatever the top of your thing. I'm sure that everyone wants it to be never ending, right? And have big yeah. <laughs> it probably it, it might end, or you might want to have some type of guardrail on it because there might there could be diminishing returns at the top. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so I don't know that well enough to give you clear advice, but just consider that because the more narrow that you go, the more specific it can be. And then you don't need as many people to actually listen to it, right? Like our podcast is quite specific. It's all about software marketing, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> software marketing with enterprise sales motions for relatively expensive annual contracts for companies that are venture funded. And when you peel back all the layers, there's only about 20,000 companies that fit that mold in the entire United States. And so it's about being like picking your segmentation that's most appropriate to you. Um, I think under 100 is a good strategy because there's the things that you would encounter at 60 are probably not that much different than 20. Right. But at 2000, it's probably different than 20. Right. Gotcha. That makes sense. Cool. What else? Uh, how long do you think it takes to build a solid social media presence? I don't um, question, right? Like <laughs> it depends what you consider solid, right? Um, like I think people's um, general general expectations of the numbers is something that's misleading, right? Like I have sixty two thousand followers right now on on LinkedIn and get dramatically more engagement than people that have a million on, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's more, the numbers come with consistent execution of a good strategy. Like I don't look at them all that often and I'm not caught up in them. My, the growth of my audience has slowed down, but the reason that slowed down is because I've gotten my content more specific. So less, less people follow me that wouldn't like the content anyway. And so I've sort of like picked a lane and I'm good with that. And so for you, like, you know, 2000 people, if they're the right people would be more than enough. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, definitely. So in terms of email marketing, right, we talked about how we're really, we're really focused on cold calling right now. Do you think that cold email marketing is worth the time investment? Or do you think that that's kind of a waste of time and the better route would be the content strategy on social to attract, you know, people through lead generation to eventually convert. Your sales team's probably already doing cold email, right? No, I do all the cold email. Interesting. How's it working? We've got about somewhere between 15 to 25% open rates. Okay. What about like business results? <laughs> Not much. Okay. Not I think you, I, yeah, I think you answered your own, your own question there. Okay. Um, and so it's about, and I said this to somebody else recently, it's like, when I was starting my company, I didn't do email. I didn't do SEO. We barely had a website. Like I was all in on just getting really good at LinkedIn because I just picked one thing that I knew was going to work and then just tried to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of marketers in your shoes where there's things pulling you in a bunch of different directions, you get stretched out and you actually never get to the, see the depth of any one channel that can have an impact. Right. So it's it's half about picking a couple of good things. And then the rest of it is saying, I'm not going to do all these other things. Right. Yeah. Because we do, um, 
nurture emails to through lead generation um, based on the story brand framework. So since, we lo- since we've launched our website in November, I think we've had 27 total leads come in through the website, mm-hmm. which like a lot, but that is for us because before we were getting it. Totally. Yeah, yeah, um, that's great. And of those 27, we've onboarded two and we've got five solid ones in our pipeline. Everybody else just wasn't a good fit. So yeah. as sounds, far as the nurture like campaigns, I know that those are working when people are actively seeking out our services. What would, what, what, how do you make the connection between nurture emails and people seeking out the, the services? Because a lot of the people that are hitting our website that are filling out that contact form that tell us they're interested have first downloaded our lead generator which automatically kicks off a nurture drip campaign. And after so many emails, then they're reaching back out through the website to contact us. Got it. Like I can see that correlation as a- Yeah, yeah. Cool. So do you consider the cold email and those nurtures different? Yeah. So for me, yeah. nurture email, they've given us that- And email. then it's automated and they cold, something. like more yeah. in bulk or a sequence or something like that. Yeah. We, we got a list and we just hit them up and said, hey, we think that we could help you. And here's why we think we're great. Cool. Or tell us about your business. And it's not, it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you one like interesting one. I don't know if it'll work, but it's something that, that we're going to try, which is um, on LinkedIn ads, you can use an in-mail message based on people that have hit your website. So it's like retargeting, but you send them a message on LinkedIn and you can have some sort of, imagine you can have some sort of delay on it or something. Mm-hmm. And so you could put like the, that audience on LinkedIn with a message about, hey, like, you know, don't say that they visited your website because that would be weird, but hey, like we'll do this or you can fig- you can test and craft the message about how you want to like, should we talk about this and try and get the meeting that way? And you can put additional filters on the on the targeting to say, like, I only only companies that are this size or in these states or this like industry. I'm sure there's restaurants or hospitality that rolls up into or something that you could target based on. Just so you're not sending emails or emails to like people that are completely irrelevant. And that's more that's like a creative way to do um, like cold email but you're it's not cold they're they're like pretty warm you know what i mean right um right. and so that might be able to serve you for some short-term stuff so i just have one more question for you based on our analytics most people are that are hitting our website are hitting our website for either careers or because they work for a client of ours and they need a pay sub or a w2 most of our web traffic is not prospects mm-hmm. uh, and we're not investing at seo in seo at this time mm-hmm. so do you think SEO is a worthy investment to drive people to your site? Or do you think it also lies no. in the strategy? It's not that it's a not a worthwhile strategy, but in your context, I just feel like there are much better things that you could be doing. And so that's my thought, because if you go, the thing for like, for me, it's not that much different than what you do, right? Like marketing firm, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to start like going into SEO for marketing firm, and then we go for software marketing firm and all these different things, we're actually not going to, the people that land there that search those things are actually not good customers for us. Okay. They either, they either don't fit our ICP. They don't believe in our methodology. They, they see us as a commodity. They're price shopping. They're not willing to pay the, the, they don't have the exact pain points that we solve. They're looking for something that we don't do. And so like, that's why I don't go with SEO. I try and go on social where you can be a lot more targeted, where people can opt in proactively versus needing to get into search and search that first. 
And so that's, and I just think more, there's more attention that way, especially for service businesses where they don't need to hire you, right? Like whatever they're doing has gotten them this far. And so like, I don't think a lot of companies like get out of bed and they're like, it's time to hire a BPO. <laughs> no, right. And so you sort of, you sort of need to educate people along the way and that can be a long process. And so mm-hmm. that's what I would treat. I would treat the podcast and LinkedIn as a long education process where over time, a lot more people consider using a BPO, AKA you for restaurants. And then I would put, find something like the email nurture, like something small that can serve a, in a little bit more of a short-term window given that what you said about the web traffic for irrelevant people, that email might actually not be a good call, but you could do, you could do something with like a small paid budget. You said you had no budget. Let me take that back. You could do that <laughs> with, um, with in-mail credits manually or something like that, mm-hmm. just to, to have something that's a little bit more short-term focused, even though I believe that if, if this person from pizza hut, came and did this podcast and you actually executed a LinkedIn strategy that I just told you for 60 days, you would get a customer. Okay. I think that's great. I think it's good advice. One of the challenges for me as a marketer, I I, I know what we need to be doing, I think, or I have a pretty good idea, but talking about it's different because I'm not a finance person. I'm not a payroll person. I'm not a franchise. Totally. I've been there before. I've been marketing to physicians before. (laughs) And like, nobody's going to trust, nobody's going to trust or think that I'm credible about like a clinical trial just because I'm, they don't see me as a peer. And so, but you have those people. And so it's either, if you have that person in your company, which you do, the best one is that you, you have that person be the host face, whatever. And you're more of the operational, getting them in the right positions to do it, repackaging the content, distributing Otherwise, the other option just for people listening is you need to actually go out and interview people that work, that are in the market, your customers, your prospects, like people that are influential, different things. That one is more like hosting a party. It's a good networking play. It's a a good thing, but it doesn't necessarily drive the business narrative. So I prefer the internal one more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree because I don't think it's realistic to become an expert in everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Try to write about, you know, best practices and accounts payable, but you're a marketing person. That's a little. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, it's probably not the, it's probably not the main reason, but it's probably part of the reason why some of the stuff that's happening on LinkedIn and other things may not be working as well as you'd hope. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, it's a lot of companies that run, that run a blog strategy with a marketing team, like you or your size, where the marketer is in charge of writing about cybersecurity or <laughs> or lease accounting or different things like that mm-hmm. where you sort of get like surface you just get surface level there's nothing wrong with it if i wrote about lease accounting it would be the same thing and so yeah just identifying who is the person that can truly be valuable to the people that you're going after is the key gotcha awesome cool awesome well thank you so much for your time today yeah thank you so much to think about Thanks for reaching out. Happy yeah. to help. Let me know in uh, 60 or 90 days how it's going. Shoot me a message. I will. Cool. Thank you. Good to see you. Bye. Bye.